count you in like we're an anchor man. <laughs> in five, four, three. Hey mom and welcome to the interesting podcast where we know a little about a lot. How's it going for you today, Paige? It's going great for me. That was hysterical. So because you actually you really went with it. Like I didn't think you were going to, and then it happened. It happened. I counted myself down. I'm like, you know what? You gonna did. get ready for this one way or another. It's our third episode. Like, You'd think I'd be you you know, somewhat used to it by now. Only because I'm we've so had to bad. record like each episode has been recorded multiple times. And that we've also had the added value of uh, just like eight different tests in between. Yeah, my I have a brand new laptop and it's pretty much just full of just bullshit audio content at the moment. <laughs> Especially the one that's just our noises. <laughs> okay, that's, that's not bullshit. That is gold. <laughs> that's art. Oh man, okay. We're off to a really good start. This is our uh-huh. third podcast. We have officially released our podcast into the wild. Yeah. You know, I actually just got a notification that we got a new follower on SoundCloud and oh I didn't gosh. click on it yet. I was like, what? Which one of our moms is it? Okay. This is something I do need to address because I like I have to give some shout outs before we like really <laughs> deep dive into this episode. Mm-hmm. First shout out is to all of our friends and family and all the people who have just been extremely supportive of us in this, like this has just been a fun little venture that Paige and I decided that we just needed to pull the plug and finally just rip off the bandaid, whatever other euphemism I can think of and just jump in and do this because we've been wanting to do it for a while. And just our friends have been so supportive and so kind, but we start every episode by me saying, hey mom, not hey mom. I've had a couple of people wonder if I'm saying this, <laughs> hey mom. <laughs> Like you're Jamaican? That's hysterical. Exactly. Yeah, I'm just 100% appropriating Hello, Jamaican mom. culture for our podcast. That's uh, so funny. No. Hey, mom. And I have to say the moms have really pulled through. Not mine. They really are. But yours and my mother-in-law <laughs> are like our that biggest fans. Mine. That is true. My mom is like always posting out about it she texted me yet she literally texted me yesterday and she was telling me she was listening to this true crime podcast called wine and crime and she was like they get drunk throughout the episode you and Donica need to do that and I was like oh you don't even know mom we have one on deck we have one on deck and I'm so excited for it I'm excited it's gonna be on Mormonism <laughs> just kidding <laughs> it's not because not only are we culturally appropriating, we're really <laughs> offensive, too. <laughs> that was kind of our goal with starting a podcast in the first place, was yeah. just, that's how you find out who your real friends are, is just by ostracizing <laughs> yourself from everybody. Who who can we make hate us this week? That is how we choose what we're going to do our episodes on. Which, as a matter yeah. of fact, what what is our episode on this week, Paige? Our episode this week is on real historical events that have inspired Game of Thrones. Yes. Yes. So, it is a Game of Thrones-themed episode. So, spoiler warning. Yeah. Don't listen if you've, like, you're on, like, season one and you're really trying not to know what happens. But also, like, are you living underneath a rock? Because... Are you living underneath a rock? Also, if you're, if you're still on season seven, don't listen. Just if you're yeah, caught that's up, true. listen. If you're not, throw it in the archives and listen once you watch the show. If you have no intention also... of ever watching the show, <laughs> that's totally fine. 
We're going to be talking about some super insane history today. It's pretty cool, so buckle up. I'm also not, we're not, like, in a position to be, like, turning viewers or listeners down. So, like, I mean, maybe just hang around <laughs> a matter what. <laughs> if you're not into Game of Thrones, if you're not into history, we'll probably talk about something that you're into. Pocahontas, mm-hmm. does mm-hmm. she make an appearance in this episode? <laughs> we can't have an episode without bringing her up, so. Exactly. That's <laughs> Ding. Check mark on that one. Wow. All right. Um, I mean, there's there's some cool stuff. There's a wall. If you like walls, if you shop at Walmart or Walgreens. <laughs> oh, the walls would just appeal to the masses. Wow. I Actually, one side of the aisle more than the other. I'm not going to lie. I chugged an energy drink before doing this. So. <laughs> Good for you. I just I really had to I had two pieces of up. chocolate. Oh. oh that doesn't work for me. There are some people out there who are like, I can't have chocolate before bed. It will keep me up. And I've never oh, been no, that I'm person. That crazy. <laughs> I'm not that crazy. Oh, God. All right. So what's our interest thing of the week? Um, well, we discussed um, talking about who we think will end up on the Iron Throne at the end of Game of Thrones. Or if there will even be an Iron Throne, you know? Ooh, Sonica. I didn't even think of that possibility. I feel like somebody Ooh. has to has to win it, you know? That's always been the thing. Like, you win or you die. Right? I mean, like, didn't HBO learn their lesson with The Sopranos? Like, where they just, like, went black and, like, nobody really won? <laughs> so, it, there's gonna be an ending. Like, there's gonna be a winner. Yes. All right. So, who that. do you think it's gonna be, then? I was really hoping you would go first, because I don't even know. Like... <sighs> Um, well, okay, if we base it off of all of the super extensive research that we've done for this podcast and the history of Game of Thrones, like, 100%, it would be Daenerys. Yeah, it would be Daenerys. Like, but she's I think she's the Henry die. Tudor. Right. I think we're sort of of the, the mindset at the moment that she probably won't make it that far. I don't know. Or... Or she will make it that far, and she will win, and what will? But John will die, but she'll be pregnant with his baby. Mm. That is my other, my other option. One of them has to die. They both like. This isn't. We're on, not looking for like roses and flowers here. We're not. Like they can't. They're not. This blossoming romance isn't gonna last forever. Mm-mm. Also because it's a little weird. <laughs> Aunts, nephews. Yeah. Romance. Is it removed enough? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't I think, think so. the whole like, 23 and Me thing is so wonderful these days, just so nobody makes those <laughs> mistakes by accident. It's true. Like, the entire premise of the show could be have been upended by the existence of 23 and Me. Like, where was 23 and Me back in like the 11th century? Come on. I know. I know. Oh, well. We don't even, we don't even have like water filters, but this was going to be a priority. Water filters is what we go with. (laughs) I don't know why I went with that, honestly. I was going to like, I was just, I don't know. (laughs) I was like, what is something that's so necess, like such a necessity? Clean water. Clean water. Well, I think the whole story arc of Jon Snow and how he died and then was brought back, it could be mm-hmm. so that he could impregnate Daenerys and then they give birth to a future king or queen. I don't know. Yeah. I just feel like he has he has a stronger meaning. Like, in the show, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, it's like... 
from the very beginning, his story is like sort of all led up to this point where you're you're everyone's invested now. Mm-hmm. No one's rooting against him. And if you are, like, why? Come on. Yeah, you're just like that person that likes to do that shit to piss everybody off because you like the attention. Um, do you want to know what Vegas thinks about who's going to Yeah, I do really want to know, actually. Okay. Number one, Bran Stark. Number one? Like, the most likely? The most likely to win the Game of Thrones is Bran Stark. Oh my gosh, that's weird. Well, I do think he'll live because he's just a freak, but I don't don't think he's going to, like, sit. he He can't sit on the Iron Throne. He can't even be King of the North. I mean, he does a good job at sitting. I think <laughs> he can sit on whatever throne he wants. <laughs> well versed in the art of sitting. Wow. Okay. I think there's this big theory going around that Bran Stark is the Night King. Yeah. So if, what are they called? The White Walkers. If they win in the end somehow, maybe. And if he is the Night King. I just, I don't see it that happening i, I just Me don't either. see that as being like the number one thing that's gonna happen like i don't understand how he would be the night king like you saw from like the children of the earth or whatever they're called you saw them making the night king right and so i think what people are saying is that like when brand would warg into mm. the mines how he was constantly warned that if he stays too long then he can't really go back so they're saying that he in that moment that's when he became the night king Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Full circle. That's aggressive. And then how the old Three-Eyed Raven said that he would never walk again, but he would fly. And then at the end of last season, how the Night King is flying on a dragon. But the the Night King also walks. So I'm not so sure about that theory. It's true. So this is all very difficult to say. Well, who's number two then? Number two is Jon Snow. Okay. And then number three is Sansa. Oh, okay. Daenerys. Not even cracking the top three. Yeah, Daenerys, she's top five. Gendry is also number five. Number six, though, is kind of throwing me off. Uh, Can I guess? Yeah. Is it Arya? No. Okay, wait. Don't tell me yet. Is it Cersei? No, it's somebody who is, I thought was dead. Oh, somebody you thought was dead. I don't know. Who is it? Peter Baelish. Wait, no, he's dead. 100%. I, there, I think there might be some theories that maybe he's not dead, but I'm pretty sure we all saw Arya slit his throat and he clearly bled out. I don't, unless they're going to do some weird magic on him and bring him back like Jon Snow, but he's definitely not worthy of that. Interesting. These are very interesting odds, Vegas. They are. All the way at the bottom, though, we have the mountain. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> and then Tormund is right above him. <laughs> I'm honestly here for like a Gendry plot twist. I think he's so cute. Talk about a glow up. Yeah. Like he would, he is officially named King because he's Robert Baratheon's only living son. And he marries Sansa and then she ends up being able to be the queen finally. I think that would be such a wonderful plot twist. I'm here for it. Right? All right. So let's just jump into this. Um, I think I do want to give a little bit of background on George R. R. Martin because I, I researched him and I thought he was just like, fascinating individual i mean he came up with this whole universe so i thought for sure he had to have had some background in literature like studied it in college or something but Mm -hmm. that's not the case um he was born on september 20th 1948 in new jersey of all places uh he did not grow up wealthy 
he had a very limited worldview because of it. And so it turned him into a voracious reader with a wild imagination, as we can tell. And he would write and sell monster stories to other kids in his neighborhood. And the reason why I bring this up, because it's my favorite thing, a lot of his stories were based on his pet turtles, who apparently died frequently, so he wrote about them <laughs> killing each other off. <laughs> like, it sounds as though this is a child who could have benefited from therapy, I'm just saying. That's so funny, though. It's hysterical that that's where his mind went. He's like, they're killing each other off. Uh-huh. They're going against one another. That's really funny. In high school, he grew a love for comic books, and he still credits Stan Lee as one of his most influential, as one of the most influential people in his life. And then, R.I.P. R.I.P. Then he went on to earn his bachelor and master degree in journalism from Northwestern University, but never used it. So, hey, <laughs> same <Hey. laughs> Mood. <laughs> so going into actual Game of Thrones, there are some there are pieces of history that can easily be interpreted. Um, some examples are Bravos. Uh, that could be seen as the Venetian Empire. It was a wealthy city situated by the water that very much relied on uh, that very much relied on trade. It's also a major banking city. There are many skilled seamen <laughs> and swordsmen here. But I am twelve <laughs> years old. <laughs> I think it's amazing. Seamen and sportsmen. Just no, like skilled seamen. Just I mean, the with with swordsmen it makes it even funnier, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Uh the Dothraki could be interpreted as the Huns. They were very skilled on horses. They would know to, you know, take over battles, and they were from the east, much like the Dothraki. Aegon the Conqueror is William the Conqueror, uh, operating in a similar manner and gaining control of an, an entire kingdom by bringing together different regions. Uh, and then the Ironborn, which I think this is the strongest comparison, honestly, um, are the Vikings. They're sea-savvy folks who make their living by pillaging. Um, like, the Ironborn are honestly, like, some of the most like horrible people in the show like you can't stand them and i don't feel like that about vikings but it's (laughs) but like you know they're they're very much like sea sea friendly people and it's mostly euron that i have the the problems yeah he is just yeah he looks like a viking yeah all about that pillaging life and the the new ironborn aren't supposed to be about pillaging but of times of old, the Ironborn were known for just wreaking havoc on anywhere they would go. Reek! Ha! Reek! Speaking of, full circle! Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then I th- another big parallel between Game of Thrones and history is the wall. So the Game of Thrones wall was built 8,000 years in the past and stretches 300 miles along the northern border of Westeros. And this is a parallel to Hadrian's Wall, which was built by the Romans in the 2nd century AD. And that one is 80 miles long and 20 feet high. And both were used to keep out barbarians, the wildlings, and the pre-Roman Brits and Scots. And both of... Very brave heart. What was that? Very brave heart. Very brave heart, yes. So um, both of these, like the pre-Roman Brits and Scots and the wildlings 
are described to live in tribal-like ways and living in chieftain societies. Here's a little like blurb about the the actual wall from Roman historian Procopius, and this is how he describes it. The island of Britain, the men of old built a long wall, cutting off a large part of it, and the climate and the soil and everything else is not alike on the two sides of it. For to the south of the wall there is a healthful air changing with the seasons. Many people dwell there, living in the same fashion as other men. But on the north side everything is the reverse of this. It is actually impossible for a man to survive there, and every other kind of wild creature occupy this area as their own. The inhabitants say that if any man crosses this wall and goes to the other side, he dies straight away, being quite unable to support the harmful air of that region and wild animals. It's very indicative of the wildlings and how they're sort of perceived by the people of Westeros. The wildlings and also the white walkers as well. No, that's true. Like the animalistic aspect of it. That's Mm -hmm. true. And like, no, like they can actually live on the other side. (laughs) So that's the wall. Yay. Who knew it? You could just learn so much about a freaking wall. (laughs) Now heading into what is probably deemed one of the most horrible scenes in Game of Thrones. Like the the one scene that literally made you feel like you're like, why am I watching this? I'm never wanna watch the show again, but like I have to Are we about to start talking about the red wedding? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so like what's What's a little refresher on the the red wedding? Like, let's let everybody relive this moment. I know. A refresher, if you've never watched it, this is going to be my best effort to make you understand. <laughs> um, so long short story short, it starts in the second season when Rob Stark and his army are on their way to King's Landing and need to cross the Green Fork, which is controlled by Walder Frey, one of, like, the most despicable people ever. Oh. Uh, Rob's mom, Catelyn negotiates on Rob's behalf and it is determined that they can cross and use the Frey's troops if Rob agrees to marry one of Walder Frey's daughters, which he has a lot of. It's weird. It's like a whole like incestual situation. It's a it's a big incestual thing. And so, of course, as like they go more further into incest, it, the, the women become less and less visible, physically appealing. Uh, they agree all is good. In the third season, Rob needs more men to help him capture Casterly Rock, which is where the Lan- the Lannisters are situated. So Frey renegotiates the terms of the deal, and now Edmure Tully must marry his daughter Rosalind. It is still in their spoken contract that Rob's going to marry another one of, Ro- of Walder Frey's daughters. But as the story goes, <laughs> he falls in love with another woman, and he marries her and knocks her up. Not only is she, like, just another woman, she's lowborn, and she's a foreigner. She's not from Westeros. How dare he. Right? When Rob and his army arrive, Frey gives him his hospitality, yet mocks Rob for falling in love with another woman and breaking his oath to him. Uh, The wedding of Edmar and Rosalind takes place, and the Freys oversee the whole thing, and there is a feast that occurs after. Once the newlyweds have done what newlyweds do, the hall becomes sealed, and the phrase give an order, and then they murder everybody. Everybody. And thus is the Red Wedding. Oh, golly. Such a shocking scene. It is a shocking scene. And I feel like now it's just like, oh, like, yeah, he was betrayed, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's, like, worth noting that, like, you know, and 
times of yesteryear when you like gave somebody your hospitality it like it meant a lot like you were it was like a sacred vow that you wouldn't you wouldn't harm them because that's you know that's not what you do like it was it, it would mean bad things for you and your family if you did like it's just it was it was a big deal hospitality meant a lot more back in the day I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to kick people out of my house, but <laughs> you know those banners they make now for parties that just say "Leave by nine. Right. That's exactly. how I feel. Exactly. There are two different events in history where George R. R. Martin drew inspiration from when he wrote about the Red Wedding, and the first one that we're going to talk about is the Black Dinner, which occurred in 1440. The Black Douglas clan was fighting with King James of Scotland. The king reached out to the Earl of Douglas, the Earl of Douglas, <laughs> to make peace by offering him a safe passage. So a lot like the phrase giving the Starks passage. Mm-hmm. The Earl arrived at Edinburgh Castle where they had a feast, and once dinner was over, the Scottish army started pounding on a single drum, and a plate was brought to the Earl containing the head of a black boar, which is the symbol of death. And the Earl knew exactly what this meant, and he and his men were forced out into the courtyard where they were all brutally killed. So this is kind of interesting that they were like the sound of the the single pounding drum, because mm-hmm. in the show they play the song The Reigns of Castamere, which is a Lannister song. And that's when, when Caitlin Stark knew that something was going to happen because that's, you know. That wasn't something that they'd be playing. Like, that wasn't just going to pop up on the jukebox at random. It had meaning. <laughs> it was meticulous. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, and then the second event that inspired or might have inspired the Red Wedding is the Glencoe Massacre. In 1692, there were concerns that certain clans within Scotland would rebel against the newly appointed monarch, who was King William III of England, obviously, because they ruled over Scotland. Uh, and Captain Robert Campbell, a supporter of the new king, arrived in Glencoe with 120 of his so- of his own soldiers. They approached the McDonald's clan looking for hospitality, even knowing that the McDonald's were in no, they were no friend to the crown. Uh, they were quite vocal about it, and they were essentially public enemy number one. The Campbells stayed with the McDonald's for 12 days and gained their trust, which is like a really long time to all of a sudden be savagely murdered and attacked by the McDonald's. Many were shot and stabbed to death, and some fled into the wilderness where they instead died a sad, slow death of exposure. Um, but yeah, it was just one more instance where hospitality was turned around and they were betrayed. I can't even stay like in a cabin or something with a bunch of my <laughs> friends that I actually like or like my family <laughs> for 12 days, let alone somebody <laughs> who's your enemy. And then, I don't know, maybe if... In the end, you're like, oh, they won't, they won't be around anymore afterwards. It might be easier, but 12 days is a long time. 12 days is a really long time to, like, I mean, like, I feel like in 12 days you have, you probably get some sense of, like, camaraderie with these other people. Like, you learn about their lives and they become, like, people to you. They're not just, you know, like, the enemy that you need to kill. Mm-hmm. It becomes, like, so much more deeper than that. All right, so that's the Red Wedding. So lovely. Moving on now to the other colorful wedding of Game of Thrones, the Purple Wedding, which mm-hmm. is such a, it's such a stark contrast to mm-hmm. the Red Wedding. 
It is. It's more of a relief. It is such else. a relief. Like, <laughs> Joffrey was the king. It was his wedding. And he just, he needed to go. So, this one also has its roots in royal history. So, let's do a really quick recall of what the Purple Wedding was all about. So, it was the long-awaited wedding of King Joffrey Baratheon to Marjorie Tyrell. And Joffrey is a person, like, ugh, just the worst. The absolute worst. Joffrey and Marjorie have had their wedding, the celebration commences, and during the feast, a few things happen. Elena Tyrell, the bride's grandmother, comforts Sansa, straightens her necklace when she's telling her that she's sorry for the loss of her family. Like, it was initially supposed to be Sansa who married Joffrey, which, thank God, she got out of that. Um, Mm -hmm. Joffrey makes a speech about the importance of marriage and then introduces a play about his victory in obtaining the throne, which is just kind of a joke because he's never really, like, seen a battlefield. All the actors in the play are dwarves, which takes a stab at his uncle, Tyrion. And he says that since he's a dwarf, Tyrion should join them, but Tyrion then, like, throws insults back at Joffrey and embarrasses him in front of his wedding guests, just basically by saying that, like... You have never seen a battlefield before. Like, this whole play is a joke. So then Joffrey retaliates by dumping his cup of wine on Tyrion's head and demanding that he refill it, but then purposely drops his cup and kicks it away. So Sansa picks up the cup, hands it to Tyrion, who refills it, and hands it to Joffrey. Joffrey takes a sip, hands the cup to his wife Marjorie, and she sets it on the table near her grandmother. Joffrey then cuts his pie, and as Tyrion and Sansa are attempting to leave, Joffrey demands Tyrion to bring him his cup as the pie was making him thirsty. Tyrion obliges, and Joffrey takes a sip. He coughs, and he takes another sip to ease his coughing. Then he just starts coughing more violently, and suddenly he's unable to breathe. He just starts convulsing. Blood is running from his eyes, his nose, and his face turns purple, and he is dead. So there's a, like, a lot is happening in this scene, like, a lot of different people near the cup, touching the cup, like, a lot of people he's, Joffrey is angering, so it's just kind of, like, who poisoned him? There's just, there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And it was later revealed to Jamie by Elena Tyrell in, like, the most badass of ways that she was the one who poisoned Joffrey when she said to him, I'd hate to die like your son, clawing at my neck. Foam and bile spilling from my mouth, eyes blood red, skin purple. Must have been horrible for you, as a king's guard, as a father. It was horrible enough for me, a shocking scene. Not at all what I intended. You see, I'd never seen the poison work before. Just such a queen move. God, so savage. Me. I'm. She's still, to this day, my favorite character. Oh my gosh, she was devious as fuck. Mm-hmm. But like in a good way, like for the good side. You didn't, I, not... In a villain kind of way. Yes. So the historical comparison to the Purple Wedding could be contributed to Prince Eustace. And we're going to skip a bunch of history here because it's pretty irrelevant and we would be here all night and uh, I I'm, I'm just don't have time for that. <laughs> what you need to know is that in the 12th century, a golden, a golden boy prince named Eustace had his eyes set on the crown. And he was described as being pretty easygoing and friendly, but he did have a dark side to him. Don't we all? He taxes people. <laughs> at, don't we all? <laughs> he taxes people pretty heavily um, and would campaign to demonstrate his wrath. Prince Eustace brought his army to Bury, St. Edmunds, 
one of the most profound monasteries in England. He was greeted graciously by monks because they're monks, obviously, and they're wonderful people and they're gracious. And they treated Eustace and his army with astounding hospitality. But, of course, that wasn't enough. Eustace needed money to pay his men because apparently they're mercenaries. I don't know. But that's where the monks drew the line. Upon their denial, Eustace ordered his men to loot the monastery and destroy it. Content with all of his lootings, Eustace and his soldiers returned to the Cambridge castle and Eustace began to feast upon all of the food that he stole. Which, like, how much food could it have actually been? Like, they're monks, so they just eat, like, rice? Or was that just, like... They drink a lot of beer, too. Monks they do drink a lot beer. of beer. Okay, well, that's good. Fun fact about monks. Yeah, I thought that they were supposed to sort of take, like, a life of poverty, but maybe that's just Catholic priests. Anyway. <laughs> if you have any questions on any religion, ask us. Yeah, ask us. We're great please. at this stuff. Uh, it is said after taking a single bite, Eustace became crazed. Some say that he died immediately, and others say he lasted a week before dying. Uh, the monks, But when the monks heard, they saw this as Eustace's death as a display of the vengeance for betraying the, the monks. It's unknown if Eustace was poisoned or choked, but it, but the possibility of him being poisoned is what inspired George R. R. Martin to kill off Joffrey in such a way. And it was such a satisfying way, too. Like, if he just had just, like, a quick death, it just it wouldn't have been satisfying. It was like when Ramsay died. That was good, too. Yeah. It's, like, so... It was so satisfying because, like... You got to see that he was suddenly becoming completely aware that he was about to die, and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. See, we all do have our dark side. Yeah, we do. I feel like that's the cool thing about Game of Thrones, though, is that pretty much every character has a dark side, which Except makes you... Snow. They're just, like, they're so much more relatable. It's not like you have your, like, designated good guys and your designated bad guys. It's, like, it's a whole story about war and how there are really two sides to every story. And everybody is motivated by different things. It's true. You become, like, endeared to, like, characters that you, like, at the beginning dislike strongly. And it's it definitely shows that there's never just one clear villain and one clear hero. Mm-hmm. Life isn't a Disney movie. It sure isn't, Pocahontas. <laughs> Yay. That was a stretch. <laughs> it was. It was good, though. But it's also, like, the brilliant thing that George R. R. Martin does, which pisses everybody off, is how he just kills characters left and right. But that's that's it's just true. the reality of, of life and wars. Mm-hmm. So many people die. The people that you come to come to like most likely don't make it to the end and that's what we're still trying to find out so now we head into the wars of the roses which could be its own pot not like its own podcast episode literally its own podcast totally it's so huge there's so many moving parts so many characters it's just like game of thrones Mm. who would have thought shocking and the wars of the roses is definitely the the biggest and best comparison to Game of Thrones because it's it has like a lot of it's a whole story that definitely parallels Game of Thrones as well. Yes, you have the Lancasters versus the Yorks or the Lannisters versus the Starks. You know, it's I mean one of those names at least is super similar. So if like you can't draw that comparison on your own, then I don't know. Like you're in the wrong place. But 
this it's it's an insane history in England. It changed I'm sure it changed the entire crown progression just because of all of all of this turmoil. Um, basically yeah. what happened is this is a essentially a 30 year war is when all of this was taking place and the crown changed hands not once not twice not three times but seven <laughs> times in 30 years like can i go all the way to it's seven like, <laughs> i was like oh, that's okay <laughs> you're like i have things to do <laughs> anyway seven times in 30 years the crown changed hands so it's a very very turbulent time and one of the most violent times in British history with death rates in the tens of thousands. That's like the OG yep. family feud. So to like <laughs> simplify this as much as possible, like if I could describe the War of Roses in one sentence, it was Margaret of Anjou versus the Duke of York in a struggle for power over a weak ass king. That's 100% what it was. So the king, it's King Henry VI. He was just like, he just wanted nothing to do with ruling, with being a king, he had mental breakdowns all the time. It just wasn't his life. And he was essentially a puppet for two different people on opposing sides. His wife and basically the hand of the king, who was the Duke of York. So we're going to just go into some key facts about the history and everything. Just so like we jump into this and we're kind of all on the same, same level. Okay? Okay. <laughs> so... The two parties involved here were the House of Lancaster and the House of York. And to distinguish between these two, Paige will be retelling the York parts of the story, and I will be doing the Lancasters. So when there's a power shift, you'll know. Also, everybody is named either Henry, Richard, or Edward. So this is extremely confusing. So we're just going to try to simplify it as best as possible. Yeah, just just try to bear with us, but... This will require you to pay a little bit of attention. <laughs> Take notes if you have to. I don't care. <laughs> Make family trees. I mean, it's it's going to get complicated. But here we go. <laughs> and they're off. Uh, but before the war, the Wars of the Roses occurred, there were a number of events that caused turmoil throughout England and France. There were plagues and famine, a minor ice age, and revolts were becoming the, the cultural norm. They were happening all the time. Uh, and then to add to the already horrible state of England, in 1337, King Edward III declared himself the rightful king of France, despite years of relative peace between the two countries. Uh, France's King Philip IV challenged the English, the English king's claim over his territory, and thus began the Hundred Year War, which I remember learning about in high school. I remember learning about it because... There was always that question of how long did the Hundred Year War last? Because <laughs> you want to say a hundred years, but it wasn't. The point of this back history lesson is to set the scene of the already terrible situation that is England when the Wars of the Roses begins. They are stretched thin financially, military failures are mounting, and political unrest is pretty prevalent. Okay, let's talk about King Edward. This dude has four sons, and oldest obviously being heir to the throne unfortunately though the oldest son got sick and died in 1376 he did have a nine-year-old son but the king king edward is still alive like he's still thriving at this point in his life well maybe not thriving because he does die a year later but the whole point of this is that the king died his firstborn son is already dead 
And instead of it going to like his second born son, it goes to his grandson, the, the now 10 year old kid of his first son. Child kings. <laughs> always make the best kings. You know? Always, always a terror. Like, no matter where you are in history, whether it's like King Tut or whether you're in England, it's just it always ends badly. Ask any 10 year old what they would <laughs> rather be doing than watching cartoons. I guarantee you they would say ruling the world. Anyway. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> so, yeah. The the crown skips an entire generation. And just for the sake of the story, here are the names of King Edward's three other sons, just so you can kind of keep up. So we have John, the Duke of Lancaster, Edmund, the Duke of York, and Thomas, the Duke of Gloucester. So the child king, if you don't know, is Richard II. He's an interesting kid. Like I said, he's 10 years old. So he ruled like a child. So nobility was not fond of him. Peasants did not like him. And the three surviving sons of Edward III and their offspring all believe that they had lingering claims to the throne, particularly the Lancasters and the Yorks. So Richard II's uncle, John, the Duke of Lancaster, I'm just going to call him Duke of Lancaster, he stepped up and assumed control of many government functions and he became a powerful political figure in England. He would become the mediator between Richard and a group of rebellious nobles, including Duke Lancaster's own son, Henry Bolingbroke. So Duke Lancaster dies in 1399. All of his titles and estates were then declared forfeited to the crown, and his son, Henry Bolingbroke, was declared a traitor, and he was exiled. Duke Lancaster, 1399 ends up dying and all of his titles and estates were declared forfeited to the crown his son henry was declared a traitor and he was exiled and while richard was campaigning in ireland henry put together an army and invaded england ended up claiming the throne when richard returned he gave himself up and went to prison which in turn made henry king henry the fourth and the lancaster family had the throne for years, the Lancasters ruled with the throne naturally passing from Henry IV to Henry V. Then upon his death in 1422, passed the throne to his infant son, Henry VI. Just another child king. We're just doing great things here. And it is at this moment where shit gets real. As with most child kings throughout history, several noblemen served as regents to a king whose balls hadn't even dropped yet. <laughs> One of those was Richard, Duke of York, and great-grandson to Edmund, the original Duke of York we spoke about earlier, who was one of the three sons who was skipped over for the throne, and it went to Henry. Now, to keep this quote-quote simple, I will just be calling, I'll just be calling Richard just Duke of York from here on out, okay? There's like 5,000 Richards, yeah. Yeah. Duke of York is perfectly fine. Duke of York. Now, the child king eventually grows up and marries a French noblewoman named Margaret Anjou. Margaret is known for being quite power-hungry, and this is only exacerbated by her little bitch of a husband who, (laughs) despite his country... Despite his country's suffering and being on the brink of civil war, could not be bothered with politics or military matters. <laughs> I mean, to fill the lack. <laughs> right? Do you blame the guy? I. 
<laughs> I mean, there's a reason why I'm not running for president, but... And that's that's a personal <laughs> choice if you want to be president. I feel like if you're king, exactly. you're just sort of like, you're put in that position. Like, here, this is your responsibility. Lead an entire realm. Right. Um, to fill the lack of leadership from the king, noblemen who have their own self-interest at heart, obviously, govern the land as much as they can. So enter Margaret. She distrusts the Duke of York, and he's he's basically serving as hand of the king to this young Henry the Sixth. And she would make attempts to separate him from Henry. She wanted to replace him with her own hand, Duke of Somerset, who was a Lancaster. She eventually pushed the Duke of York to Ireland, where he couldn't do anything. Somerset proved to not be a great addition. And that, combined with excessive corruption and incompetence of Henry, led them to be extremely unpopular. Who who would have guessed? Henry's dealing in France turned sour, and he was blamed for the loss of France, putting an end to the Hundred Year War. An uprising was forming, and the people wanted the Duke of York to return from exile. So all of this just sparked the first of several mental breakdowns for the king. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> They did not have antidepressants back then, okay? Well, like, when they, like, describe his mental breakdowns, though, it's, like, when, like, throughout history, I was, like, reading about it. It's not even, like, he is having a mental breakdown. It's, like, he, like, slips into this, like, weird coma. It's bizarre. Are you serious? You have to look at it. Yeah, it's, like, he's practically comatose or something. Like, it's not like he's, like, you know, just wandering about in, like, a padded room. He's, like, pretty much, like, asleep. Do you think he's just fake sleeping to avoid responsibility? That's what I do think. I think he's, like, I don't want to deal with this. So he's just, like, sleeping and then, like, at night just, like, wanders about his chambers. (laughs) I respect it. Right? It's fine. One way to deal with things. Unpopular opinion, but I'm here for it. Um, While the king was mentally incapacitated... The nobles scramble to name a regent who can rule the country in his absence. You see, women are not deemed fit to rule, and this rendered the queen pretty much powerless. Uh, She needed Somerset to operate as her proxy, but the Duke of York was instead named Protector of the Realm, aka like Hand of the King situation. And he instantly named Somerset a traitor and imprisoned him. This obviously just rubbed the queen the wrong way, because... That was what she wanted to avoid. And so she made Henry snap out of his mental breakdown, which, like, I don't know how that happens if he's just, like, (laughs) fake sleeping over here. Um, Mm -hmm. Makes him release Somerset and reverse all of the Duke's reforms. Now with the king conscious, (laughs) the (laughs) Duke... It's so weird. The Duke of York retreated north, where he allied himself with the Duke of Warwick who belonged to an incredibly wealthy family. There, they campaigned and assembled troops. The king had rode north to confront the Duke of York and its troops, and he gathered his own troops along the way. On May 22nd, 1455, the Wars of the Roses officially began. Yeah, I know, like, literally all of that was the prelude, so you're welcome. <laughs> I thought we were, like, <laughs> halfway through this. <laughs> yeah, nah. <laughs> Um, This battle was called the Battle of St. Albans. Albans? Albans. It's fine. Whatever. The king, right? (laughs) The king and Somerset were easily defeated, and the king was taken prisoner, and Somerset was killed. The Duke of York vowed to release the king only under the condition that his title of protector of the realm be reinstated, 
a pretty powerful role considering what happens next. Pretty much. I mean, if I were King Henry and this all happened, I would just fake sleep again. (laughs) (laughs) Which is basically what he does. Uh, He has another mental breakdown and Margaret once again has to snap him out of it and demands the riddance of York. Like, yeah, I don't... I'm trying to picture if I'm just like... If I'm fake sleeping to avoid my problems... Like, what's the one thing my husband could do to be like, come on, Annika, let's go. I can't only think of dirty things. Uh, Me too. (laughs) So I'm assuming this is what Margaret is doing. (laughs) I know. I was like, I don't want to say it because like when you're saying it for you as like a woman, it seems like kind of victim-ish. Also knowing that my mother-in-law is our number one (laughs) listener of the podcast, we won't get into that. I'm sorry. Okay, continue. Okay. <laughs> What's up, Aaron? Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, he snaps out of it because of his lovely wife. And this time, York and Warwick are like, you know what? We actually do kind of fear for our lives. We know Margaret's not fucking around. So, they both flee the country in 1459. They were labeled as traitors, and Margaret sought for their arrest. Now, with all of this happening, York decided to stay hidden because he really is public enemy number one. But Warwick was left to defend his fortress and launched raids against the Lancasters. He then invaded England in 1460 and took London and Kent and proved to be more popular than Henry VI and Margaret. Henry was captured yet again in battle and York returned to England to claim his spot on the throne asserting himself and his children as heirs thereafter. I do kind of love that, though. Like, York stays hidden while Warwick goes and, like, defends the fortress and does all the fighting. Mm -hmm. And then Warwick Mm -hmm. wins, and then York is like, hey, guess who's back? (laughs) My throne. (laughs) No. It's like, how wonderfully convenient for you. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) So if you thought Margaret was pissed before, she's extra pissed now so she wanted her son she has a son named prince edward because everybody's named edward she really wanted him to become (laughs) king and she got an army from the king of scotland and went on this like massive roid rage in england so york what happens when you get a little bit of strength you know military strength you go on roid rage (laughs) she's she's the scots on her side you know it's true they're yoked (laughs) I don't even oh, like I don't even follow you anymore, Paige. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Me neither. <laughs> anyway, so this this roid rage happens in England. So York and his second oldest son, Edmund. Edmund Edward, like let's get a little bit more creative, okay? Um mm-hmm. second oldest son Edmund, they faced the Scots at the Battle of Wakefield, where they were both killed and had their heads mounted on spikes. So Lancaster's one, York's zero. Margaret continued south, defeats Warwick in the second battle of St. Albans, and she and the king retreated to the north, leaving London without a king. So, dumb. Dumb. (laughs) Now that the aforementioned Duke of York was killed, Edward, his oldest son, was now in control of the York military. He, the Duke of Warwick, and the remaining men came together and headed for London. Once in London... They encountered the Bishop of London who asked the people of London their opinion. 
and they began calling out King Edward, making him King Edward the Fourth. King of the North. <laughs> King Edward the Fourth does sound like King of the North. Hey. Yay. <laughs> um. Hoping to finally remove King Henry from power, the newly named King Edward and Warwick meet Henry and Margaret for the Battle for the battle of Towton on March 29th, 1461. It was fought in a horrible blizzard and 28,000 men were killed. Woof. <laughs> like, this is like a time without guns or anything. Like, to kill 28,000 men is aggressive. I did not put that into perspective. Right? It's really aggressive. That's a lot of sword action. I mean, it isn't a blizzard. It could be a lot of, like, hypothermia action, too. Mm, that's true. King Henry is captured again. <laughs> this dude. He's the actual, he's the actual worst at battle. He's, like, in gym class when you're in elementary school, when you have, when you're, like, you're, the captains are choosing who they want to be on the team. Like, he's always the last person to be picked. It's true. It's so true. Um, and Margaret flees with her son to Westminster. Now that Warwick and King Edward appeared to hold power, Warwick begins negotiating for King Edward to marry a French princess, which would make his claim stronger and solidify his rule. Edward, however, falls in love with another woman and secretly marries her. Uh-oh. Dun, 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 dun. This is all sounding so familiar. This was a significant turning point for Warwick because he felt very betrayed, so he turned on Edward and the Yorks and cozied on up to the Lancasters. He reached out to Margaret, as well as King Edward's jealous brother, George, and together they put together a plot to remove King Edward. Warwick then invaded England in 1470, and Edward was completely caught off guard by this and forced to flee, bringing his brother and faithful supporter, another Richard. This one is the Duke of Gloucester. <laughs> remember remember this Richard dude, because he plays a key role later on. Um, we're gonna call him dick from here on out yes i'm just kidding we're really not wait i didn't i just said yes to something i I didn't even hear what you said (laughs) said we're gonna call him dick from here on out and you just blindly agreed (laughs) dick it's happening we're really not dick dick of gloucester (laughs) i like it anyway Warwick decides he's going to put Henry VI back on the throne, which greatly offended George since he wanted the throne for himself. But, like, I mean, Henry VI, like, he is essentially a puppet for Warwick at this point. I mean, throughout all of this, but, like, especially at this point. And since Warwick was the one calling the shots, he had strengthened the alliance between England and France and was also tempted into a war against Burgundy. Just a new player in the game. Let's just throw throw more names into the mix. That was a mistake, though, because Charles of Burgundy offered Edward the funds to take back his throne. So Edward went to war again with his former comrade. In 1471, Edward and his army descended upon his brother George, who begged for forgiveness, which was ultimately granted. He then attacked Warwick and his army in the fog, defeating his army and killing Warwick. Upon hearing about Warwick's death, Margaret rounded up her troops and attempted to confront Edward, which is pretty brazen, honestly. Mm -hmm. She had a lot going on. She did. Uh, Attempted to confront Edward, where he easily finished the fight. Margaret was finally taken captive by the Yorks, and her son, Prince Edward, was killed. Bye. (laughs) Peace. (laughs) Soon after the battle, Henry VI died in captivity. Or was he sleeping? 
Then he, or did he just take a nice long nap? <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> He's still sleeping to this day. They were new to this whole mental breakdown thing, so they just assumed he was dead. <laughs> and the Lancaster problem was now solved, and Edward and the Yorks held the throne. The remainder of Edward's rule was fine and dandy, but problems of succession soon arose when he died suddenly in 1483. Edward's son, Edward V, was only 12 at the time of his father's death because... Child kings! Ha! <laughs> so his uncle Richard, you know, the one I told you to remember, Dick. There we go. Um, he was named protector of the realm. But before Edward's coronation, Dick declared that because of Edward's secret marriage, his son was not legitimate. So Dick ascended the throne, becoming King Richard III. So Edward and his little brother, Richard Duke of York, were unfortunately never seen again. And it is rumored that Richard III had them killed because he's a dick. Anyway, (laughs) Richard III's claim to the throne shocked England, but there appeared to be no one around to challenge his claim. Oh, but wait. Some dude named Henry Tudor, who was a Lancaster descendant of Edward III, was all like, hold up. Henry the Tudor was raised in exile on the shores of France, and he crossed the channel in 1485 and confronted Richard III in battle in the Battle of Bosworth Field. Henry's army defeated Richard III's, leaving Richard dead and Henry as king with no other people who could claim the throne for real this time. Henry Tudor, now King Henry VII, married the daughter of Edward IV, which united the Lancasters and the Yorks in the House of Tudor. They're also said to be third cousins, so even though it's a little bit better than aunt and nephew, they're still kind of like dipping the pen in the familial familial ink, as they did back Ayo. in the day. Yeah. And that's it. That's uh, that's the War of the Roses. So, I mean, Man. if you're not into Game of Thrones and you were just here for like, the shittiest overview of history ever you can now exit the podcast <laughs> because now we're going to talk about the comparisons <laughs> mm-hmm. which i think are probably like pretty obvious to you at this point like margaret obviously who is she cersei Ooh, you're so good i know just the, the queen mother over here she's just like she's just this power crazed woman who wants to rule and pretty much ends up ruling. I mean, you could say that, like, Henry VI could be, like, a few different people, maybe, like, Robert Baratheon, who was her husband, but also, like, her kids, too. You know, like, yeah, she was... that's true. ...had a big part in ruling for her kids, since they all just kind of sucked, but whatever. The more I, like, read about Margaret Aju as well, it sort of painted her as, like, this woman who was, like, less power-hungry, but more concerned about the country and obviously realized that her husband was an imbecile and felt like it was her duty to, like, take over and, like, lead the realm into a better time. Oh, so now we're supposed to like her? Yeah, exactly. But there are, like, parses of Cersei where you're like, I mean, she's not wrong. Robert Baratheon was, like, a total piece of shit. He didn't care at all about politics or anything. And... Um, so there were times, like, there's not times where, like, I think, I'm never endeared to Cersei, but, like, she is, like, above all else, a mom who is obsessed with her children that she has oops. with her brother. And <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> right? Oops. And now they're all, oop, they're all gone. 
But I think it's like it is an interesting part where it's sort of like the bumbling husband and the more salacious wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Who else we got here? I think Tyrion or Tywin Lannister could be thought of as Somerset. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's some good parallels there. Yeah, I mean he was definitely like a puppet master for everyone until he was, you know, murdered. But in like a really awesome way too. <laughs> in the best way possible. <laughs> when I go, I hope it's on the toilet. I'm sure that's what Elvis thought too, and then it happened to him, and it was a slightly less dignified than I bet he thought <laughs> anticipated. Now it's all he's known for. What music? I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Duke of York is definitely Ned Stark. It's definitely Ned Stark. I mean, the fact how like he and Cersei butted heads a lot on how mm-hmm. the the kingdom should be ruled, and then you know, just he just seemed like a good guy. That Duke of York, right? And it ultimately led to his death. But then his son rises from the from the abyss, and that is Rob. Robbo. Robbo Starko. I don't know why I said that. We'll edit that out. That was stupid. <laughs> I liked it so much. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, especially I kind of joked about it when you were telling the story about how like the people were the ones that were like, he's our king now. And that's pretty much what happens. Like Everyone just mm-hmm. starts shouting King of the North and suddenly he's king. It's true. It wasn't like he had any sort of like birthright to it. They sort of just made it. Yeah. And then also how he betrays Warwick by falling in love. And Warwick can obviously be determined to be Walder Frey. Yeah, because he just can't choose a side. But he helped them out for a long time and then and then it all goes downhill with the, just the, the slight betrayal of marrying somebody he wasn't betrothed to which is like such you know how every hero is supposed to have their their flaw or whatever in literature and that's that was rob's that was his that was his undoing that sure was but not for this not for not for in like the real history that that guy lived on what the hell was his name edward what yes edward but like which edward was it (laughs) edward the sixth are we at the sixth now i i think it was the fourth the fifth yeah i don't remember but but yeah and then i think probably the one of the bigger parallels too is henry tudor being denarius i mean somebody who was brought up lived their childhood in exile and then came across the sea and was like this is mine i'm going to take it now not only that but then you know denarius appears to be on the path to marry Jon snow which would unite the starks and in uh, the Targaryens, and that's essentially what happened with Henry Tudor. Yeah, and he also, um, Henry Tudor had dragons as well. I knew it. I knew there was a part that I was missing. That was it. And we really had dragons. <laughs> All right, so we did have a, uh, one of our fans gave us a suggestion. Yeah, one of our fans. He's actually um, just like an all-around cool friend of ours not not a fan <laughs> um so shout out He's to jay an overall shout out to jay he told us that at the end of our podcast we should talk about like a hypothetical dinner party like you're at a dinner party how do you take what you've learned in this podcast and make yourself sound really interesting 
I, I think for this one, it's pretty easy. Like, everyone is going to be talking about Game of Thrones, and if they're not, then, like, just start dropping some history on them. Yeah, I mean, it's everything this week. I've already, like, was on Instagram today, and there's, like, nothing but Game of Thrones memes that are repopulating because it's time. My favorite thing that I've seen this week is, um, what's her face? Sophie Turner. Did you see that? Oh, yeah, I, I tagged you in it. Yeah, the, the one with Joffrey. The picture with Joffrey and Joe Jonas, who's, you know, it's like she's like with her like quote unquote ex-fiance from the show and like Joe, Jon- Joe Jonas, <laughs> who's like her real fiance, is standing there like, what the hell? <laughs> He's like, well, this is awkward. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So perfect. So cute. Yeah. And then uh, Kit Harrington hosted SNL last night. Which I oh I didn't watch I didn't see that is that great I haven't seen it yet but I saw the promos for it with Leslie Jones who's like a huge Game of Thrones mega fan like she live tweets every episode and it's hilarious and mm-hmm. her promos with him are hilarious like she's making him recreate scenes from Game of Thrones <laughs> it's lovely <laughs> I like it I like it yeah so I mean this is gonna be something everybody's talking about so just start you know dropping some be that super annoying person like when people are talking about game of thrones and like their theories just like well you know according to history um (laughs) that's true i mean it definitely gives you some serious dinner party content Mm -hmm. people might hate you for it they might think you're kind of pretentious they hate you because they ain't you it's okay all right well all righty well you go i'm like we're like we're obvious so this is also for reference annika and i are like recording this over the phone for the first time so if we talk over each other it's because we're not sitting next to each other so we don't have like the same physical cues it's so true and i felt like i did that a lot Mm. to you i'm so sorry oh no me too i felt the same way you're fine i'm sure nobody else would notice except us but i miss you i miss you let's get closer together i almost just like weirdly kissed my microphone (laughs) <laughs> I didn't do that. That was a one-sided thing. I'm sorry. You will sometime. You will. That's true. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, like, you know, we're still getting used to trying to figure out a way to end these things. It's like you yeah. hang up first. <laughs> no, you hang up. But thanks for listening, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Also, I want to give another shout out to um Kevin McClude. McClude. McC- I don't know how to say your last name. Anyway, he is has a, a website. It's incompetech.com. And he's the one who does the music for us at the beginning of the podcast. And he's just like this awesome oh. dude. I had some issues with getting the song because um, he sells all of his, his music, but his website was down. And so he just he just like sent it to me for free. But I ended up sending him what money. A, but he's just like such an awesome human. Like, thank you so much for your help. You're never going to listen to this, but like. You're the real MVP. So it's you long are. overdue, thank but you, I Kevin. do need to thank you for that. <laughs> and yeah, I think I think that's all the all the stuff we needed to talk about. So yeah. Go out there and enjoy Game of Thrones. And um hopefully Wonderful. we're not all just like destroyed on Monday with yeah. there being a huge death, which I feel like there has to be, because there's only six episodes. So People are just going to start dropping like flies. It's true. It's true. So we'll all have to be emotionally and mentally prepared. Look up therapists in your area if you need to. Mm-hmm. All right. We got to go. We have to end this. This is <laughs> ridiculous. Okay. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Love you. Mwah. Yeah.